Start with Jesus. Stay with Jesus. End with Jesus. Let's try that again. Start with Jesus. Stay with Jesus. End with Jesus. God, uh, today, those three phrases are going to be something that we're going to see throughout scripture and as we talk and as we talk about marriages, as we talk about difficulties, may you uh, help those three phrases just to bring uh, life uh, into us, see, bring hope into our situation. And um, we just pray over the next few minutes as I speak, as I open up God's word. May all of us learn something because you're going to take it and you're going to apply it to each one of us in our own situations. And we just pray that we would be open to your Holy Spirit's leading. In Christ's name, amen. Some of you are familiar with the book, Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Okay, I see heads nodding. Some of you like that book. All right. Uh, It's a very famous book. It's a very famous children's book. And so this is how the book starts. We're just going to read the very first page. It starts like this. Alexander says, I went to sleep with gum in my mouth, and now there's gum in my hair. And when I got out of bed this morning, I tripped on the skateboard, and by mistake, I dropped my sweater in the sink while the water was running, and I could tell that it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Now, throughout the book, basically each page, it just, his day just keeps going, and things like that just keep happening to him over and over and over, and he keeps repeating that same phrase. And if you're familiar with the book, at some point, things get so bad that he decides he wants to go somewhere. Where does he want to go? Australia, right, which I don't know why that comes in the book, but he just keeps saying he just wants to go to Australia. But sometimes in life, we all have days like Alexander, don't we? We have days that are just like that. I recently saw a greeting card, and uh, on the front of the greeting card, it had this, life ain't a bowl of cherries, right? And, And Most of us in this room know this, and if you don't, it's just because maybe you haven't experienced enough life, but there are always things in life, there are things that come up that are just difficult, trying experiences. Last week, we started this series called The Real Marriages of the Old Testament, and we saw how Abraham and Sarah uh, dealt with life and marriage when their honeymoon was over. And today, we're going to talk about a guy who navigated life and marriage when his world turned upside down, when things got bad, when things got really bad. In fact, you think you've had a horrible day. We're going to look at the story of Job, and Job had a terrible, horrible, no good, very, very, very bad day. And so if you want to follow along in your Bible, we're going to be in the book of Job, starting in chapter one. There's also Bibles back there in the table, or we'll have the verses up on the screen. But turn to the book of Job chapter one. We're going to look at this story and uh, see how Job navigated his marriage, how he dealt with adversity, and how he went through the trials that... um, that were put in his path. So we're going to start with Job chapter 1, starting with verse 1. Here's what we find out about Job. There once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. In other words, Job was a man who did it right. He lived life right. He loved God, feared God, tried to obey God. Verse 2 
He had seven sons and three daughters, so he had 10 kids. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, three Bentleys, two Ferraris, seven jet skis, a helicopter, and had a sweet crib in the Caribbean. <laughs> Does yours not say that? You, mu- you have a different version than I do. But Okay, but anyway, you understand. This guy was uh, loaded. He, had, he was doing really well. And then it goes on to say, he also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in that entire area. So Job had been extremely blessed by God in his family, in his business. He's one of those guys where kind of everything he touched, everything he did, every endeavor he took on was extremely, extremely successful. And yet what we're going to find now is everything in Job's life changed in a blink of an eye. Let's go to verse 13 in Job chapter 1. This is what happened to him. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting at the oldest brother's house, a messenger arrived at Job's home with this news. Your oxen were plowing with the donkeys feeding beside them. When the Sabians raided us, they stole all the animals and killed all the farmhands. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking... Another messenger arrived with this news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep. Now, if they had YouTube back then, that would have been a really cool video to see too when the fire of heaven fell down and burned up his sheep, but they didn't have it, so it wasn't not a big deal. And it burned up the sheep and the shepherds, and I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, a third messenger arrived with this news. Three bands of Chaldean raiders Now, did they win the Super Bowl this year? I can't remember. The Chaldean Raiders? Do you know, Chitty? Did they win? They had a good team, though, didn't they? All right, so the Chaldean Raiders show up. Have stolen your camels and killed your servants, and I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. Your sons and daughters were feasting in the oldest brother's home. Suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides. The house collapsed, and all the children are dead. I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. It wasn't in a matter of months. It wasn't in a matter of weeks. But in a matter of minutes, Job gets four horrible back-to-back messages telling him that his world has just been turned upside down. It was definitely a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day for Job. He lost his livestock. He lost his servants. He lost property. He lost a chunk of his finances, and he lost all 10 of his children. Now, a couple of weeks ago, Facebook went public with their IPO, and Mark Zuckerberg um, took a hit. He actually has lost $4 billion since Facebook went public. But before you feel really bad for Mark Zuckerberg. He, he still has $14.75 billion, okay? So he's still, he's still doing okay. But Job, Job loses almost everything in the blink of an eye. In a matter of minutes, it's just taken away from him. And it all happened in one day. But you know, it still happens like that for some people, for some of us for some of the things that we endure. Let me give you a few examples. A young husband comes home, picks up his wife's cell phone, looks at the text messages, finds out that there's messages from another person and realizes that this person is from someone she's in love with and realizes that his whole marriage is really over. And in the blink of an eye, 
it all comes crumbling down. You wake up in the middle of the night to a cell phone ring, and when you hear on the other end is a voice of somebody saying there's been a horrible, horrible accident, and your world gets turned upside down. The doctor comes in, sits down, looks at you in the eye and says, we got your test results back, and they're not good. It's cancer. Or there's a knock on your front door in the wee hours of the morning, and you go down there and you open it up, and there's an officer standing there holding his hat, and he said, your son has been involved in a situation. I need you to come down to the police station and join me. And when things like that happen... All of a sudden, everything that we, we think about in life, the foundation of what we know is shattered. It's like the rug gets pulled out from underneath of us. And what amounts to the blip of, of time in human history, the, our world comes crashing through. Just a couple of weeks ago, I gave plasma for the very first time, and um, I didn't really understand how the whole plasma thing worked. And so if you do, you, you kind of understand it. But I was, I was mesmerized because it was kind of like giving blood, except one big difference. There's this little machine beside you, and it separates your blood. It separates the white blood cells and the red blood cells. And then they actually put the red blood cells back into you, which I, I didn't know. So I'm watching this. They're taking my blood and spinning it around like on a merry-go-round, like really, really fast. And I, I didn't understand how that worked. But here's what I thought. Here's the analogy. In many ways, that is like marriage when trials and hard times and difficulty happens because things happen in our world and it's like this whirlwind that we're on, this force that's trying to rip apart a marriage, a husband and a wife, because the very things that, that, that are thrown at us many times rip us apart. And so how, as a married couple, how do we stay together? How do we keep that from happening? And that's what we're going to see in the story of Job. Because in fact, we all know some marriages don't even survive that, and a few do. So let's go back to the book of Job, chapter 1, verse 20. This is what we read. Job stood up and tore his robe in grief, and then he shaved his head. Now the tearing of his robe was a cultural sign of grief and despair, and he shaved his head as if to say, everything that's important to me has been taken from me. And so that was his response. But notice what he did next. It says he fell to the ground to worship. He didn't curse God. He didn't feel sorry for himself. He didn't tear something up. He worshiped. Even with all of the whys that he had that were swimming through his head, even with all the unanswered questions, he had the presence of mind in verse 21 to do this. He says, I came naked from my mother's womb and will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. About 12 years ago, Pam and I were at a wedding rehearsal dinner and we were sitting there and the mother of the bride had a massive heart attack and fell to the ground with a big thud and they came and they tried to resuscitate her but there was no way her heart attack that she had was, was uh, w way too serious. And this couple that we knew all of a sudden was put in this dilemma that they never wanted to be in their worst nightmare trying to figure out what to do with a wedding when you also have to plan a funeral at the same time. 
And they thought about it and prayed about it. And in their grief, they knew that their mom loved the Lord. They knew she was in a better place. And as much as they were grieving, they knew that the best thing to do and what she would have wanted was to go on with the wedding. And sometimes in those difficult times, the hardest thing for us to do is to figure out somehow, some way to worship. And yet what we see Job doing in this circumstance is saying, I, I know things are unbelievably bad and I've got emotions all over the place, but I am going to trust God and I'm going to worship him. Louis Giglio is one of my favorite uh, pastors, and this is what he writes. He says, the ultimate way to handle the troubles of life is not just through prayers of petition, but through worship. And that's exactly what Job did. In verse 22, we read, in all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. His faith was so grounded that he realized that it wasn't God who was causing this, that it wasn't going to do any good to blame God with all this. And just when you thought things couldn't get worse in Job's story, in chapter 2, we find out that he himself gets inflicted with a horrible disease. I mean, this is definitely a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. But notice this about Job. He started with God, he stayed with God, and he ended with God all the way through. But his wife's reaction to what happened was a little bit different. And uh, we read in chapter 2, verse 9, we read what uh, her reaction was. It says, his wife said to him, are you still going to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. Well, thank you. May I have another? I mean, that's kind of uh, not a very... Uh, very heartwarming or thoughtful response to her husband. This is what one commentator writes about her reaction. She refused to give him the slightest hint of encouragement. She did not even reveal a token of ordinary human sympathy. Instead, she diabolically urged him to relinquish his faith in God and to end his suffering by suicide. Verse 10, but Job replied, you talk like a foolish woman, which is a very, very polite way of putting it, isn't it? That's it's very, uh, very nice of him. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all this, Job said nothing wrong. So when we experience pain and grief and suffering and trials, our initial instinct many times is to focus on ourselves, on our own pain. And that's what I think Mrs. Job did. She, she, was, she had lost her children too. She, had, she was a part of this marriage. And in this, all she can see is all of the horrible things that have happened. She's focusing on herself and she has no sympathy. She has no help. She has no support for her husband. Current research shows that up to 75% of marriages break down when there is an element of lingering suffering that is experienced, up to 75 marriages. That would include a physical handicap, a mental deficiency, a developmental disability, or the loss of a child. It's this ripping apart of a husband and a wife of marriage that happens so many times when trials come. It's just like that spinning. It's, it's, it's pushing them in opposite directions. 
So in the story, after Job's wife is finished with him, he has some friends that come along, and uh, his friends weren't a whole lot of help either. In verse 11, this is what we read. When three of Job's friends heard of the tragedy that he had suffered, they got together and traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. Their names were Eliphaz the Timonite, Bilidad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. I think that was the name of a 70s rock band, wasn't it? Maybe. When they saw Job from a distance, they scarcely recognized him. I mean, in my mind, I'm thinking, they're like, dude, you look so bad, man. You look like death warmed over, which he probably didn't need. But wailing loudly, they tore their robes and threw dust into the air over their heads to show their grief. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to Job. Now, guys can do that, all right? We can show up and just, like, not talk, all right? If it had been girls, there's no way. And, I mean, they couldn't have lasted seven seconds without talking. But these guys show up. They're just guys. They don't say anything to each other. They probably just moan and, you know, like, shrug and do what guys do. For seven days, they didn't say anything. But in some ways, you know, I think that's what Job needed. And in some ways, maybe that's pretty good advice. Because when, when we're helping someone who's experiencing tragedy, who's experiencing trial, sometimes the most important thing is being there for them. It's not words, because you don't know what to say. I mean, how can words fix that? Words can't really fix that. And Job really didn't need all the cliches to help him out. I mean, he didn't need his friends to show up and say, hey, look at it this way, no pain, no gain, dude. I mean, he didn't need that. He didn't need someone to say, look on the bright side. It could have been worse. I mean, that really wasn't helpful. His friends at least came. They were at least there for him. And maybe we can learn from that sometimes when we're helping someone who is in a lot of pain, just being there. But his friends could not contain all of their redneck wisdom. And the majority of the next 40 chapters of the book of Job are them containing their poor theology and their advice to their friend, which was not very helpful. So when we look at this story of Job, what can we learn from it? What did Job learn from it? Well, I want to focus our attention now on some application, on some things that we can learn from this story and what Job learned on it about our relationship with God and also in our marriage. The first thing is prepare don't be surprised. When trials come, when difficulties facing, when you have one of those terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days, be prepared as much as you can and don't be surprised by it because you are going to experience trials within your life. You're going to experience trials within your marriage. That's just the fact. And when you know it's going to happen, or, or when you don't know it's going to happen, you, you can try to prepare as much as possible, but you know at some point that things like that in life will happen. Job didn't react like he was surprised by what happened. His wife did, and his friends did, but his faith somehow allowed him to trust God and go along for the ride and take it all in stride. A couple of months ago, I was reading an article and uh, they were talking about LeBron James and the way he prepares for basketball games. And they actually showed a video. And, and they were showing him, and he had three coaches. And they were putting him there and having him take the ball to the basket. And they had three coaches with football blocking pads. And as he takes the ball to the basket, they would all just hit him and push him and try to knock him down. And, and so basically what he was doing is he was trying to take the ball to the basket 
while people are pushing and shoving and trying to knock him down. And I think, is there, is there a quick picture of that? I mean, they just... There's just a picture of in the NBA, and if you're a basketball fan, you know that rarely in the NBA are you going to get from the three-point line to the lane without someone impeding your progress. Now, what I take from that, and I think how it applies to us, is the reason LeBron James does that, he's, he knows it's going to happen. He knows that he's going to take the ball to the basket. He knows that there's going, he's going to have to take contact. So for us in our own lives, as much as we can, that's pretty good advice for marriage that when the trials come, it's not a matter of if they come, it's a matter of when they come. And when they come, to know and to expect and not be totally surprised and totally shocked, but to be prepared as Job was and to not be surprised. The second piece of advice that we learn that I think is applicable to us from Job's story is be willing to carry your spouse. Job didn't get any help from his wife. He didn't get any help from his friends. He really had to navigate this entire crisis that he experienced on his own. And the fact is, that may be your experience too. Whenever you face a trial, whenever you face a difficulty, whenever life gets tough for you, it may be too painful, it might be too hurtful, or it might be too embarrassing for your spouse to even deal with it. And maybe what God is asking you to do is to be there for your spouse and to carry that person through this, through the trial. I came across a great story this week of Megan Vogel and Arden McNath. They're two high school athletes, track athletes from the state of Ohio. And they were in the 3,200 meters of this track meet. And with 50 meters to go, McNath's legs buckled. And it was clear that she was not going to be able to make it. And Vogel, who was running behind her, came up beside her and helped her. And I think we have a video of what you're going to see was the very end of this track meet. Veteran sports reporter Chris Lillstrong of the News Herald paper in Northern Iowa said this, it was easily one of the most inspiring and emotional moments he had ever seen in any sport. Now sometimes as being married, there may be things that, that happen in your relationship, in your life, in your world, where you have to be the one to pick up and carry your spouse across the finish line. In, in Job's case, that's kind of what he had to do. I mean, he was at, even though he loved his wife, he, he was getting no help from her at all. But Job was the one that had to be the rock in his marriage. And maybe God has called you to have to be that rock in your marriage. Here's the third lesson that we can learn from this story. To look past the pain and the present. One of the reasons that Job survived was that he was able to look past the current situation, look past his circumstances and look beyond that. Rick Warren says it this way. He writes, the things you wish were most removed from your life are often the things that God is using to shape you and make you into the believer of character he wants you to be. He wants to use that problem for good in your life and there's something more important than your pain. It's what you're learning from that pain and God is in control. 
And God is an expert of bringing good out of the bad. And if you don't believe me, the Bible is full and full of stories of people that endured trials, heartache, difficulties, and God took those things in their life and actually brought about good. But it requires us looking past the pain in the present situation. Listen to the promise that we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. This is from the Phillips translation. It says, this is the reason we never lose heart. These troubles which are temporary are winning for us a permanent, a glorious, and solid reward out of proportion to our pain. So we don't look at the temporary situation. We look beyond to see the eternal benefits. So claim that promise in your marriage. Claim that promise that whatever it is that you're facing in the present situation, that God will somehow make good of it eventually, someday. Start with Jesus, stay with Jesus, and end with Jesus. The fourth lesson that we see from Job that we can also learn from is to draw your strength from and build your foundation on Christ. As bad as things got for Job in this story, he did not waver in his faith in God. <coughs> Max Lucado, who is a pastor and an author, says it this way, whether or not storms come, we cannot choose. But where we stare during the storm, that we can. Whatever you face in life, whatever you face in your marriage, God will be your constant. And you need to lean on him. Stephen Curtis Chapman and his wife, Beth, had a uh, horrible incident that they experienced in the year 2008. Some of you may be familiar with that story. One of their sons, Will, was coming home from high school, and he had just tried out for a play at their school. And he was coming up in the driveway, and little Maria, who was about eight years old at that time, ran out in the driveway to meet her brother running up, and he did not see him, and Will hit him with, hit her with the truck. She got caught underneath. They brought in a helicopter from Vanderbilt Children's Hospital, but they could not revive her, and she was pronounced dead on arrival at Vanderbilt High School. I'm sorry, Vanderbilt uh, Children's Hospital. This is what Mary Beth Chapman writes in her book, Choosing to See, which she wrote after that. She wrote, real success in the kingdom of God is not about being strong and looking good and knowing all the right answers. It's about continually leading oneself to Jesus and determining to take purposeful little steps of obedience in the ragged reality that's all about God and his grace at work in us. Christ can be the one thing in your marriage that can keep you together when the world is going to try to rip you apart every chance you get. Now I want you to take your mind for a second and go to a beach. I want you to, to look out there and see the waves and one of the things people do at the beach is they build a sandcastle. And uh, if you've ever built a sandcastle, which is a, a dumb thing to say because probably everyone's built a sandcastle, you know that when you take the sand and it's dry and you try to put it in the cup or you try to form it and you try to turn it upside down, it doesn't really hold together very well, right? The, the important ingredient in building a sandcastle is having water, correct? So when you put the water in there and you have the cup or the bucket or whatever and it's wet sand and you turn it upside down and you lift it up, this amazing thing happens in science and, and the sand actually stays together. 
Now in science, that's called surface tension. That the water in the sand actually helps the sand hold together. And without the water, same sand, you turn it over and it just completely falls apart. That's a great analogy for marriage and the importance of trusting God and trusting Christ in our marriages. Because without Christ, without God, there will be things that will happen in our marriage that will try to rip us apart. And in many ways, we will end up like dry sand that we will not be able to stay together or hold things together. But trusting him and allowing Christ to be a part of our relationship can make all the difference in the world. I want you to repeat this after me one more time. Start with Jesus, stay with Jesus, and end with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I ask that all of us would be able to look at the story of Job, and um, we would be able to find that um, uh, hopefully none of us face all of the things that he faced in his life, but we know without a doubt that there will be difficulties in this world. Um, they've happened through the history of mankind and they will continue to happen. But Father, you have told us that um, you are there to be our strength and be our refuge. And I pray from the story of Job that we will see when that day comes, when our terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day does happen, Father, there's a foundation and a trust and a relationship with you that we can lean in on. That just like sand can't stay together on its own, when we add the element of trusting you, um, you can do things and bring things in our marriage that we can't do just on our own. It's not humanly possible. Father, I, I pray for each person here that's married and each person that someday will be married, and I pray that they would approach their marriage and their relationship as you being the glue that is able to hold them together in a world that's going to try so desperately to spin them apart in opposite directions. Father, be with each couple here, and just, I pray for protection upon their marriage. Not that they won't endure hard times, but through those hard times that they would be able to focus on you. They would be able to lean into you. And even if it's only one person in that relationship that has to do most of the carrying and the other person is not able to do it or can't do it for, for whatever reason, May you empower that person and give them all that they need to get through the very trial and the very path that they have to go down. Father, um, we just trust your Holy Spirit doing work within us to make that possible. And that is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. <laughs>